Hallelujah. You know, really, the key to success is really praise God in all seasons. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when times are good, when times are bad, you praise God because He really is your only solution and your only answer. So if you can't praise Him when it's bad, you know, really anybody can praise Him when it's good, when you feel like it. You know, I find it my, the, the best times of worship I have always start with me not wanting to do it, <laughs> with me not wanting to worship. And it's kind of like, oh, you know what, maybe I should take some time. I'm a bit of a grump. And I'm sure if my wife, wife was it, she'd say, amen, yes, praise God more often. <laughs> oh, if you can't make fun of yourself, who can you make fun of? That's okay. I'll make fun of Jess. No, <laughs> no but if you can't praise God when you're down, your praises when you're doing good are worthless because he is the solution to your problems. Right now, Father, we just glorify you. We lift up your name. We thank you for your presence already in this place. But right now, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to lead us and to guide us this morning as we open the word that you inspired. You are the teacher. And so we ask that you show us the true meaning of your word. Inspire us. Bring revelation knowledge forward. Right now, if we need to go a different direction, Holy Spirit, we choose to follow you. But we receive your help and your direction right now in Jesus' name. Well, we are in the midst of a series. We're going to start wrapping it up in the next few weeks, but called Think Inside the Box. And the whole purpose behind this series is that in every topic of the Bible, you need to let your beliefs about yourself and your situations that you're going through be Bible-formed. You know, we often think that we're following the truth, but after we'd use the Word as our mirror, as our reflection, to see how things really should be, it'll always illuminate parts where it's like, you know, that part's only partially true. You know, I, I, heard, I heard a good story a few weeks ago. Uh, a minister friend was talking about how he had been praying for his father, this was years ago, he was praying for his father that he wanted him to get saved and come to church and everything like that, and he had been praying over him and saying, oh God, you know, you know bring him to church, get him saved, and uh, the Holy Spirit said to him, he says, well, I would if you'd actually pray according to the word. And he said, the Holy Spirit saying that to him made him so mad. He's like, how dare you say that to me? I have been praying for my father-in-law, it was, for like months and months and months. I've been praying daily for him. And the Holy Spirit said to him again, yeah, and it'd work if you prayed according to the word. And so he was mad for a few days, but then he was reading through, and he came across the words of Jesus where it says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And the Holy Spirit said, why don't you pray that way? And so he said, God, I just let go. And I ask you, you send the right laborer for this harvest. And he says it wasn't about six months later that his father-in-law ended up getting saved and getting to church. And he said it happened the exact opposite way of he thought it would be. He was thinking all these, he had been running with these biker gangs and, you know, out all weekend riding his Harley and, and he's like, God, you need to get him away from those friends. And you know what God did? He got all his friends saved. And then his friends got him saved. What I'm trying to say is your way isn't always God's way. And so we need to let the beliefs of our lives be formed by the word. And if we find things that we're like, oh, 
my thoughts and my actions don't line up, then you always have the choice. Which one do I want to follow? What I've always known or what the word actually says? You know, Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. And so we told you that that word is tesalic in the Hebrew, and it means to advance, to prosper, to make progress, and to succeed. When the word is received and applied, it will cause increase in the area that it was sent to influence. When you receive what God's word has to say about your body being healed, it'll produce increase in that area. When you receive what the word of God has said about your finances, it'll produce increase in that area. When you receive what the word of God has said about wisdom, it'll produce increase in that area. Whatever area the Bible is talking about, when you take it, say, God, I believe it, and then you apply it to your life, it brings increase in that area. And so we're talking about prosperity. And so the last, the last four weeks we've been talking about, in specific, the generalities of prosperity. And today, I want to get more specific. But a little review before we go on. In week number one, the word said in Galatians chapter 3, 9, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing. Everyone say same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So we don't share a different blessing. Paul told us that we share the same blessing that Abraham did. So the way that the blessing increased and prospered Abraham is the same way the blessing will increase and prosper you. And that word blessing literally just means empowered to prosper. And we told you that there's actually seven different areas of prosperity that the Bible deals with. There's spiritual prosperity, there's mental prosperity, there's emotional prosperity, all the way down the line until we get to the lowest form of prosperity is actually financial prosperity, but it's the one that most people make the biggest deal of because if we look by and large across the world, people have a hard time even just managing their own finances, let alone God's increase. Oh, I can tell that that went over like a lead bullet. But it's true. But in verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So Jesus bore all cursing and all negativity, all shame and all sin on his body. He took it into the grave and he killed it. And the next verse says, he did it that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That's you. All who put their faith in Christ fall into this category. Week number two, we talked about Isaac and how the blessing impacted Abraham's natural children. And so we know Isaac, he's the the son of promise. It took Abraham a long time to get him. Abraham was older in his life. And, you know, after Abraham was gone, God said to Isaac, I will bless you and I will increase you. And then he said, in the same way I was with your father, I will be with you. So if we look from his natural standpoint, the blessing didn't stay with Abraham. It went on to his natural children. But Galatians tells us that the true seed of Abraham are those who put their faith in him. Those who have been been put, made one with Jesus. 
And so uh, if we look at Isaac, what happened is he finds himself in a time of famine. And so his first thought is, I'm getting out of here. I'm heading down to, uh, down to Egypt where they have food. And God said to him, no, don't go there. It's really important to listen to God's instructions and be where he wants you to be when he wants you to be there. And that's one of the biggest hindrances for people prospering in their lives is getting out of the position where God has asked you to be. Just because the grass looks greener over there doesn't mean it is. What do we say around here? The grass is greener where you water. So water where you are. Speak the word over it. Speak in faith over the situations of your life. Water them with the spirit of the word and you'll begin to see fruit in them. And so Isaac was obedient. He didn't go down to Egypt. He planted in a season of famine. And it says that he received a hundredfold. And it says he began to prosper and he continued to prosper until he became very prosperous. I just love that verse. Because I think God was trying to get across to the point that he was being very, very, very blessed. And it says he got so much to that point that the Philistines envied him and told him to leave. And so Isaac packs up all his stuff and he heads out. And it didn't take long for the Philistines to realize that he was the reason things were doing good in the region. And so as he was gone, they went out and they begged him and said, please come back. You know, people around you can be blessed by being in association with you. You look at even in Abraham's life, his nephew Lot increased right along beside Abraham until the point that the land couldn't hold them because they just had too many, too many flocks going on, so they had to separate. People will be blessed because you choose to walk in the blessing. And if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How many of you are Christ? Then this is you we're talking about. You are Abraham's seed. Week number three, we talked about, come on, turn, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And we talked about how he has removed the curse of the law from us, but we often we continue to speak our own curses over the situations of our lives. Now, we don't use the word curse. We use the word I can't. And we put up limitations and roadblocks in our own lives. And the word curse literally means the opposite of prayer. And so if prayer is having honest, open dialogue with God, cursing is having honest, open dialogue in a negative fashion with the situations of your life. It is the opposite of going to God for help. It's holding on to your own strength and your own ability when God is saying it's not by your might or your power, but by His Spirit. The words that we speak over our lives and in terms of our increase need to be lined up with what God has said about us. Just because you don't see it with your natural eyes at the moment, you need to speak it from your heart. And that's why Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, 37, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And James said, so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth and surely my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Or the New King James says, it shouldn't be this way. And so there's a very, there's an, a, a, a strong, let's see, get some words right here. There's a strong responsibility that God has placed upon, upon his children. God is not interested in doing everything for you. If you do that to your natural children, you ruin them. Right now we're working with Harrison in tying his shoes. 
And it's really hard for me when we're about to go out the door and he's like, I can't do it. I want to get down there and go, let me just do it so we can get in the truck and go. But that does not help him. That will actually hinder him and it will make him stay in that position longer than he was meant to. So I have to work on my own patience and say, okay, Harrison, sit down. Cross the, the, the strings. One goes through the center. Pull tight. Make a bunny ear. Go around the bunny ear. Go through the hole. Pull tight. I can't do it, Daddy. Just do it for me. But that doesn't help. And so when it comes to God, He's not interested in raising children who are helpless and hapless. He's raising strong children in His image. That we're going to rule and reign with him for eternity is what the Bible says. Meaning he's not going to do all the ruling and reigning. We get to do it with him. So this is a training ground. He's teaching you to follow and influence your own life. Yes, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. And in his wisdom, he chose to give authority and power to you. In Deuteronomy 30.15, it says, Now listen, today I'm giving you the choice between life and death, blessing or prosperity and disaster. So if we're waiting on God, you're going to be waiting a long time. He's waiting on you. Wow. Week number four, we looked at Jesus and how the spiritual seed of Abraham was blessed. And if you weren't here last week, go ahead and listen to the podcast. We took the majority of the time and we taught, tackled the big, the big elephant in the room that Jesus was not a poor beggar. The scriptures don't actually support that view. And so we spent almost an hour last week talking about all the different verses and there was still more we didn't have time for. Jesus was not a poor beggar. So when you're talking about being in the image of Jesus, he was not poor. God supplied for him at every turn. We don't find in the Bible where Jesus said, oh, I'd really like to feed the poor today, but I don't have any money to go buy food. He blessed what he had. He used what he had and God continued to increase him so that he always had what he needed when he needed it. Does God love Jesus more than you? John 17 tells us that with the same love he loved Jesus, God loves us. God is not a respecter of persons. He loves his children all the same. If he was with Jesus, he'll be with you. And so we ended last week on this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. What that verse is talking about is Jesus gave of his divinity, of all his heavenly assets, and he exchanged it with you. He laid it down and he took on everything this world had to offer you, which was nothing, and he killed it in the grave. But you know, Jesus didn't stay in that impoverished position. He was raised from the, from the dead, raised up out of that grave, and we were made one together with him. So don't get the idea that Jesus is in a poor spiritual state right now, because he's not. And just as he is, so are we in this world, is what John said in 1 John. Just as he is, so are we. So we always have to come back to the position, is Jesus blessed? Yes. Then so am I. Is Jesus sick? No. 
The answer is no, so I don't choose to receive sickness. Is Jesus poor? No, so I don't choose to receive lack and poverty. God is interested in transforming every area of our lives, spirit, soul, and body. So that's where we've been. Let's get along on to where we're going. This morning, I want to start talking about walking in the blessings. So we said that that word blessings literally means to be empowered to prosper. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There is nothing that he has left out. But if we don't know how to walk in that, it does us no good. Now, when we say things like God has empowered us to prosper, we can get the idea, or most of Christianity does, that God is just going to do it all for me. And as I've already said this morning, if that's what you're waiting on, you're going to be waiting a long time. The word empower is an action. And it means to give someone the authority or power to do something. So when God has empowered you, he's given you the authority and the power to do something. But if he's given you the power to do something, he's also given you the choice to do nothing. Right? That's your choice. It's just like in the garden put the, the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and he told Adam and Eve, don't eat of it, but he gave them the choice of whether or not they would. Eve was deceived, Adam chose. God always gives you choice. He will never make you walk in his blessings. He gives you the choice. But I want to look at Deuteronomy 8.18 this morning. And it says this, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the, everyone say that word with me, power to get wealth. And so when we talk about prosperity, most people think that God's just going to show up with a chest full of money and say, here you go, my child, I'm so happy. Here's your inheritance from me. But that's not how God works in this earth. He has given you the power. Now we can pull out the old song, I've got the power. Actually, I think it was a little higher there. Pete, can you hit it? Do you remember the hair wave? <laughs> Most people don't know this, but Pete used to be an old 80s rocker, drummer, and he used to have the long hair, you know, whoo. I think it was all that head spinning and head banging that it just like popped off his head one day. <laughs> See, I told you I wasn't just going to make fun of, my, fun of myself today. And Pete's got big shoulders to handle it. But God has given you the power to get wealth. The word he used there in the Greek is the word koach, which means strength, or power, or might. And literally, it means force in a good sense or a bad sense. He has given you the, the, the ability or the force to command wealth in a good sense or in a bad sense. And if we look across society today, most of them are using it in a bad sense. You know, in North America, we look like we're doing pretty good. But do you know that the debt statistics of North America are astronomical? Let's talk about Canada, because that's where we live. For every dollar a Canadian makes, the average one owes $1.78. Wow. 
For the average person in the United States making 59,000, they owe 138,000. So they're doing a little bit better than us. But by and large, the statistics of society are they are using their power and their finances to sink themselves into a hole that economists say that they can't get out of. If you look at the Americans, they're up to like $22 trillion in debt. I think it means that the average uh, citizen owes $180,000 if they had to pay off the national debt. And when a child is born, they automatically owe $80,000 if they were to pay off the national debt of the country. So when God says he's given us the power to get wealth, just because you look like you're wealthy doesn't mean you actually are. As Craig likes to say, the dot's been moving in the wrong direction. A little bit too much red ink on the ledger. So God has given us the power to increase or to decrease. And you have the ability to increase if we do it God's way. So he said, now listen, I'm giving you, and the you in that sentence is yourself, the choice between life and death, prosperity and disaster. But we have to understand that God's system and man's system are not the same thing. Now, God can use that system to prosper you and to bless you, but he is not limited by it. If that entire system collapsed today, God can still bless you. God can still take care of you. Because economic systems have risen and fallen, fallen throughout the history of man. God is not bound by them, but he can use them. And he can give you wisdom of how to operate within them. You know, the Bible says that the children of the, of the world are smarter than the children of God. I should have pulled that verse out for you. And what they're talking about is that the people of the world have no problem using the world system for increase. So we shouldn't, as children of God, have a problem using it either. Let's just talk about a big one. They say that Christians, by and large, have not prepared for retirement. Whereas the statistics for the world, they have a higher percentage have prepared. Why? Because they know that there's a day when they're going to slow down and they're not going to want to have to work as much. And so they prepared for it. Okay, I can see I'm stepping on toes. <laughs> but we have to be honest about things. We really do. You need to use all wisdom you can. This is what John Wesley said. He said, get all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. But that the world system looks closer to this. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. <laughs> so I want to start looking at God's system this morning. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. So what we're talking about is God's laws of sowing and reaping. And after the flood, God made this promise to mankind, and it's found in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. And it says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, 
and day and night shall not cease. Now, Pastor Robin was picking up where we were going during offering, that we're going to talk about seed time and harvest this morning. God said that seed time and harvest will not cease. Now, does it still get cold? Does it still get hot? Does it still have winter? Do we still have summer? We're heading towards it right now. I wish it would show up a little quicker. Do we still have day or night? Then seed time and harvest still exist. We have to understand that God views everything in seed form. That's exactly what Jesus was. It was God sowed his only son to reap many sons and daughters. When we look at Adam and Eve, Pastor Robin was talking about it at Offering. God told them, see, I've given you every seed-bearing plant. You know what he was telling them? I planted you a garden, but you decide what you want to do with the rest of it. He gave Adam and Eve the option of, well, I like these apple trees, so I'm going to plant some more apples. Well, I like these orange trees, so I'm going to do some more oranges. He gave them the option of what they would sow and what they would harvest. You know, even Jesus said it in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your bosom. So God has put into a system into, for his children that we are allowed to operate in, but we don't have to if we don't want to. That's important. God never forces you to do anything. Did God force you to get saved? It was a choice. So God will not force you to use his system. It's kind of like God giving you the internet and then giving you the choice whether or not you want to have all the information at the tips of your fingers or to sit in your chair by yourself. He's given you something that is amazing, but he gives you the choice. So in the time that we have remaining, I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, in all of the Bible, we don't have another topic that takes two entire chapters. There is not even a whole chapter talking about love. There's a half a chapter. There's not a whole chapter talking about the Spirit. There's parts of chapters. This is the longest conversation about any topic in the entire Bible. And it just happens to be about giving and receiving. And in, we'll start in chapter 9 and then we'll go back to chapter 8. And in verse 1 it says this, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers at Jerusalem. So to understand the context, what's going on is uh, the Jews throughout the history have constantly revolted against those who tried to subjugate them. And so during the, the writings of Jesus, we know that things are relatively peaceful between the Jews and the occupying Romans. After Jesus leaves, that all takes a turn for the worse, and the Jews start to revolt. And so Caesar sends in the legions, they decimate the population of Jerusalem, they tear down the temple, every brick, they burn it so that all the gold off the walls begins to drip off the stones and be lost. And what was happening is that the people it left in Jerusalem were very poor, were very hungry, and they didn't have anything. And so Paul decided, you know what, this would be a good opportunity for us to sow. He's not in Jerusalem. He's going through what would be modern-day Turkey and Greece, those areas right now. And so here, the Corinth is in the lower part, just a little bit over from Athens, in the lower part of Greece. 
And uh, so it's, he's ta- writing to them, and he says, For I know how eager you are to help. So he wasn't asking them to do something they didn't want to do, right? He says, I have been boasting to the churches of Macedonia. That's the northern part of Greece and into Turkey. So it would have been like Thessalonica, Philippi, and Ephesus. Those are, those are the other churches he's talking about. So I've been boasting about what you want to do, Corinth. I've been telling everybody about it, that uh, you were ready to send an offering a year ago. And in fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. And so Paul has been using Corinth as an example to other churches. And he says, but I'm sending these brothers to be sure that you are really ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. And I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, and not to mention your own embarrassment. Meaning, we've been telling everybody that this is what you said you wanted to do, and I'm pretty sure you'd be embarrassed if they found out that that's not the case. And he says, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be, everyone say this with me, a willing gift not one given grudgingly. And then he says this, remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. And one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So now, are we talking about sowing wheat here? Or corn? Or cucumbers? Or any other type of thing that we can grow? No, in the context of these verses, Paul is saying, your money is a seed. And when you sow, you can sow a little and you will reap a little. Or you can sow more and you will receive back more. And he says, verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So Paul is really laying out here. You give because you want to give, not because you have to give. But when you choose to give, what you choose to give is a determining your harvest. And in verse 8 it says, And God will give generously to provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And so we see here from this verse that this is God's system that he's put in to supply not only your needs, but to give you the ability to give more. And if we look at Christianity as a whole, they're looking for an excuse of how I can give less. But the thing is, that doesn't affect God. It affects you. Well, Pastor Jordan, I just can't afford to give. And so this is the point where I always say when I teach these lessons, if you don't want to give, don't. We are a blessed church. Our bills are paid. We've got more than enough. We support missionaries. We support other ministries. And we will continue to do that because we are met, our needs are met by our giving. And we will continue to be a generous church. But if you come from the position of saying, 
I can't afford to give. The Holy Spirit said to me when I said, when I, that I normally say, don't. He said, be careful that you don't put a stumbling block in front of people. Because God will never force you to do anything you don't want to, including use his system for increase. But if you don't use it, you won't increase. You will always be stuck in the power of your own hand rather than allowing the power of God to influence this area of your life. So verse 7, it said, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give in response to pressure. So I want you to understand that this message is not about me pressuring you to give. As I said, we are blessed and our bills are already paid. This message is to encourage those who are givers. You have to understand there's a harvest coming your way. And to encourage those of you who aren't, that the God has given you a system that you can work and walk with him. So let's jump back to number eight, or chapter eight. And in verse one, it says this. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. Okay, they are very poor. What was the question I just said? Pastor Jordan, I can't afford to give. You're in the same position as the churches of Macedonia. They had lots of problems, and they were very poor. It says, but, oh, you got to love a good God, but. <laughs> but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. So when they got together with God, a joy sprung up, and they began to sow. And Paul looked at it and said, they gave what they could afford, and then in his estimation, they gave beyond that because of the joy. When you get together with God, you know what? You begin to see his provision and realizing that, oh my God, I can trust you, God. Because you said you supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Or as Peter had written, that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. When you get together with God and start fellowshipping with the Spirit, you begin to understand the depths of His provision. And so he says, they did it of their own free will. And they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers of Jerusalem. I like these people. They were poor, and they had problems, and they found the solution, and it was God. You know, I look back across the, 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 the people of this church who've been with us a long time, and I know that this works, because I know where you began. And the people who do this I love seeing God bless you year after year and increase you and increase you. And I am glad that I am not where I began. But God continues to increase me because when you are faithful to his word, when you take his word and apply it, you grow. And so in verse 5, he says, they did more than we, what we had hoped. And in their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. 
I love that. They went before God and said, God, we want to get involved in this gift that's going to Jerusalem. What would you have us to do? I like what Brother Hagin said. When you're trying to decide what to give and you have two numbers, so go with the higher one because the devil will never tell you to give more because he does not want you working in this system. But they did even more than what Paul and them had hoped for because they gave themselves to God just as he wanted to. So verse 6, it says, So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and to encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. And since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I like the New King James better. It says, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, we started this year with a long series on grace, and I purposely, purposely left this section of grace out. So what we've talked about up until this point was there is the saving grace of God. There is the sanctifying grace of God. There is the strengthening grace of God. There is the serving grace of God. But there is also the sharing grace of God. And what it is, is you letting go of your ability and trusting in His ability. And when we choose not to give, do you know what we're saying to God? Is I don't trust you it says he who gave us his only son how shall he not with us also freely give us all things hallelujah so giving and receiving is a grace that you can work with just as much as strengthening grace or serving grace or saving grace And Peter told us, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is one of these things that he has given us the ability to steward or to not. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says, For God is the one who provides seed. But oftentimes we're asking God to provide the harvest, not recognizing that he's already given you the seed for the harvest. So it says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Seed comes first, harvest and provision second. So we need to recognize what God has given us to sow and when it's time that it's become harvest. Because God will always allow you to sow more if you want to. And you determine your harvest. You know, I was thinking of my own life, and a a little while ago we were looking at what was going on in our lives, and Robin was like, you know, I really wish we had some more clients and stuff in in her business. And and I'm like, well, you know what, just trust God and listen to what what he wants you to do. I don't care, it's your business, let me know what you want. And so it was like... a. A week later, we were on our way to church, and she had just sold one of her items, and it was like 30 bucks. It was nothing, nothing big. And uh, it had been sitting in our garage for like ever. And so we're driving. She's like, I think I want to take that profit from that job and sew it. I'm like, sure, your business, you do it. And so she did it, 
didn't even, I just let her do her thing. And it wasn't, it didn't even get home from church and her phone was blowing up with three new clients. Now that little seed we could have consumed. You know, 30 bucks doesn't go a long way these days. But you have to listen to your heart to understand what is God wanting you to sow because you don't know what's on the other side of your seed. It's harvest. And so God provides seed first, then bread to eat. And it says, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And it says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you always can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God. So Paul says that this system supplies your need and brings glory to God. I love looking at people's stories and people going, how? How did you do that? And Pete, like when you were doing offering a few weeks ago, it's like, it's God. It's not me. It's God. God is always faithful to his word. And when you take his word, receive it, believe it, and put it into work, it increases and prospers in the area that it was sent to prosper. But you are the one in control of your harvest. If you don't like where you are now, change what you're doing. You know, I think it was two weeks ago, the birds were all starting to flourish around our property, and there was this robin. And it flew up and it sat on top of our um, trampoline on one of the posts. And right along that side of the house is the windows into our pool room. And it literally would fly up and fly towards the window, bang into the window, flutter to the ground, shake itself off, and then fly back up to the top and repeat the process. And so we were sitting there in the morning watching this bird continually smash into the window, fall to the ground, and then back up. And we were laughing, like, oh, stupid bird. And then we came home that night. What do you know? The bird is still doing it. And it had done it all day. It had done it all night. When we woke up the next morning, it was still doing it. Three days it continued to do this. Until I don't know what happened to the bird. Maybe it was exhausted and one of the dogs ate it. Wouldn't be the first time. But this bird continued the same process for three days with the same results. How many Christians are doing the same thing with their finances these days? Continuing the same actions over and over again, expecting different results. If I could just get beyond the window, God. And God is saying, I've got a doorway for you. It's his system of sowing and receiving. But remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds gets a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. 
Well, let's finish the verse of Jesus in Luke 6, 38. It said, given it shall be given unto you. But then at the end, he says, for with the same measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So Jesus said, you get to control how much goes out versus how much comes in. And remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. This is just one of his ways. You know, he's got other ways that he's given you power. One would be wisdom. You realize that God can give you God ideas to revolutionize your business? New inventions? Do you think God is short on inspiration? If we look at all the different types of animals and all the different types of flowers and trees and grass and fish and you think, does he ever run out of inspiration? No. One idea from God can revolutionize your life. He can use his wisdom. You know, he gives you opportunities to prosper, but he'll never force you to take it. And this is something I've had to learn the hard way. You know, sometimes when I look back at my past, I'm like, God, I wish I would have said yes more than I said no. And the biggest one that I always kick myself over is that it was probably about five, six years ago now. Robin and I were getting ready to buy our first house, and we were looking all over and not really finding anything. And uh, we, uh, we came across this one house. It was bank-owned. It wasn't that much money, but it needed a ton of work. And I said to Robin when she showed it, I said, no, I do not want to do all that work. It's just too much. But I laid down in bed that night, and I just felt my spirit saying, go look at it. Go do it. Go look at it. Go do it. And you know what? I'm ashamed to say I overrode that Holy Spirit unction for over a month. And so finally, we were in the neighborhood of that house looking at another house, and the realtor we were looking with, I said to her, you know that house just around the corner? Can you take us to go see that one? You know, I think it's got some good opportunities. She says, oh, you know what? I actually just sold that yesterday. And so I thought about from when I had peeked in the windows and stuff like that, and I knew what I would do. And I, I said to her, I'm like, you know, I think that the, the bank would probably sell that for 10000 less when they're asking. She said, well, actually, they sold it for twenty less. And I was like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I also know it needs a new septic and a new furnace. And she's like, yeah, and the bank is paying for them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew, I had talked with Tof, I'm like, I would do this and I would do this and I would do this. I watched that house for the next year. They only did about a quarter of what I thought needed to be done to that house. And then they sold it for a $100,000 profit. And so I kicked myself and said, God, you told me for over a month, go do it. Now, maybe you're saying, I can't flip a house. You know what? God gives you opportunities within your abilities. And he will stretch your abilities. That was something that was well within my power to do. And God was trying to put me ahead. So I asked for forgiveness. And I said, God, I know you were trying to bless me and prosper me there. And I was not willing. So I looked for the next opportunity. And so we, when we did finally buy a house, I did exactly what I would have done to the other one. And we sold it for a good profit. Not quite as good as that. But <laughs> God will give you opportunities if you're willing to take them. And there's a saying, the reason why people miss opportunities is they, become, they come dressed in overalls and look like work. 
And so it comes back to, if you're waiting for God to do something for you, to bless you and make you rich, stop waiting. Get out there and follow his opportunities. He also gives you the ability to learn. When you say, I can't do that, that's just beyond me, that's okay. Learn a new skill. You can always go back to school. It's amazing these days. People in their 80s and 90s still going back to school. When I was in Bible school, there was like a 90-year-old lady there. Why? Because you're never too late to learn new things. And one of the biggest powers that people overlook is he has given you the ability to work hard if you're willing to do it. So how does God give you the power to get wealth? Open up your eyes and look around. You've already got the stuff that you need. So Father, we thank you for the opportunities you bring our way. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the abilities that you've already put in us. You know the skills. You know where we are. You've given us the ability to sow and to receive. But above all, God, we don't trust in riches. As Paul told Timothy, we put our trust in the living God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. And so Jesus, we ask that you stir our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, it says you show us things to come. You bring things to our remembrance. You lead us into into paths of peace. You show us how to glorify the Father. Holy Spirit, we ask that you get involved with us. Open our eyes and let us increase with you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You guys are a blessed people. You really are. Let God take you further than you ever thought you could go. You're released. Let's have some coffee and some good conversation.